Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the startling admissions that have been made by the so-called public health experts, especially Dr. Anthony Fauci and the CDC Director Walensky in the month of January, and how they're attempting to fit this into their narrative as far as the vaccines and the mitigation measures go. So the official story has been that the lockdowns that were implemented in 2020 and then the ongoing restrictions on capacity and the mask mandates and other mitigation measures, non-pharmaceutical interventions, the NPIs as they call them, that all those worked to lessen the severity of the pandemic until the vaccine came along, or I shouldn't say, and then the vaccine came along. And of course, the vaccine will be credited with further lessening the severity of the pandemic and eventually bringing it to an end. So this is the narrative that they want to hold on to. And they've made some admissions, I have to assume, because they had no other choice during the month of January. And it's interesting to see how they're trying to fit this into the general narrative. So I think the first one was actually on New Year's Eve, so a day before January 2022, when Dr. Fauci admitted that child hospitalizations are overcounted. And the reason he gave was that since every child is tested for COVID-19 when they go into the hospital, even if they injured their knee or have some other reason for being there, that they automatically get counted as being there with COVID, in quotes. And of course, this is true. Uh, if they test them for COVID, they're going to put that on as a secondary diagnosis on their admission form. And it's interesting to speculate, and we can only speculate the reasons why Fauci decided to admit what we've been saying since the beginning of the pandemic, which is that hospitalizations are overcounted. And of course, it doesn't take much reasoning power to conclude that because hospitalizations are overcounted in this way, 
probably deaths from COVID are also overcounted, but that wasn't part of what he admitted. He was reacting to a storyline that had been put out in the media around that time or during December of 2021. Oh my God, child hospitalizations are going way up. So he felt he needed to come out and correct this. Normally, and before that point, any inference that perhaps COVID was being overstated or that hospitalizations were being inflated because some people had gone to the hospital with um, other diagnoses and also tested positive for COVID, that was forbidden. You could get deplatformed for even insinuating something like this. All of a sudden, Dr. Fauci says it about this limited group, children, child hospitalizations. So the question really is, why would that not be true for the adult population, for all hospitalizations associated with COVID? And why wouldn't that then mean that deaths from COVID have been overcounted or inflated because a lot of people who died from something else but had also tested positive for COVID were counted in among the deaths with COVID? Of course, we certainly know that's probably true. How much lower the number of deaths from COVID are, we don't know. We do know that during 2020, and I'm sure that 2021 will also turn out the same once we can get an accurate count of the numbers, but during 2020, we know that we had excess deaths in the ballpark of the amount of deaths attributed to COVID. It's very hard to go from that number to what's the real COVID number. Of course, nobody acknowledges any deaths in 2020 or 2021 as a result of the mitigation measures, especially the lockdowns. Now, I think I've written before, and I may have mentioned before, that it used to be, especially when there was a Republican president in office during recession, It was quite routine for liberal media outlets to remind us that for every 1% increase in unemployment, there was a certain amount of deaths. At one point, it was 1% equals 30,000 additional deaths due to unemployment because it was widely recognized that there's a lot of people out there that are either vulnerable psychologically or medically or both that losing their job will lead to their death, whether that's suicide or or drug overdose or some other avoidable death that resulted from them being unemployed. Of course, nobody mentioned that in 2020 when they shut all those businesses down and we had record unemployment and record job losses. All of a sudden, that wasn't a consideration anymore. So Anyway, I don't want to get too far afield from this one announcement on New Year's Eve, but he does acknowledge that hospitalizations are overcounted. And of course, in the background, you always have to keep in mind, we're in an environment now where the vast majority of people have been vaccinated. So of course, all these statistics and the ongoing explosion in cases are troublesome for the vaccine narrative that they're safe and effective. Effective keeps getting redefined. First, it was, it will keep you from catching the disease. And then it became, it'll keep you from getting severe illness or being hospitalized. 
And that's where I want to go to the next admission here from CDC Director Rochelle Walensky. And this was on or about January 10th when she appeared on Good Morning America, and she was defending the vaccines. This was widely interpreted as a statement about COVID deaths overall, but she was actually pointing to a study where they looked at people who had been vaccinated, about 1.2 million people. And some of those people had still died from COVID. And she made the statement, the overwhelming number of deaths, over 75%, occurred in people who had at least four comorbidities. So really, these are people who were unwell to begin with. That was her statement. So I think it's even more interesting, the correct interpretation is this is if you have been vaccinated. Now, we know that during 2020, a look at the initial number of deaths from COVID showed that 94% of the people had at least two comorbidities. What percentage had four? We don't know. And I want to keep reminding people that the dreaded interview with Dr. Robert Malone He says that a lot of the data is tainted and that there's very little reliable data anywhere in the world. But given the data that we have, we knew that most people who died, almost all the people who died of COVID had at least two comorbidities. So what's the new narrative? And I'll repeat it one more time. It started that the vaccine was going to prevent you from getting the disease. And then it was, it's going to prevent you from being hospitalized or dying from the disease. And next it was, it's going to prevent you from serious illness or hospitalization or death from the disease. And now as of January 10th of this year, Dr. Walensky seems to be saying, if you get the vaccine, it's going to prevent you from serious illness or hospitalization or death as long as you don't have comorbidities. At that point, you really have to say that's the same as if you're unvaccinated, you're probably going to be spared a serious illness or hospitalization or death. That doesn't mean it's 100%, but For the most part, the people who are unvaccinated also do not get seriously ill. I can tell you that firsthand, and of course, anecdotal evidence is what it is, but it's not completely worthless. That's not to say that if you have somebody who is high risk, an older parent who has some comorbidities, or even just old enough where you can assume their immune system is not what it was when they were 40, that this can't help them. I I don't deny that it probably spikes up your antibodies as it's been reported to do. And perhaps there's a risk scenario where it's worthwhile. But the story has certainly changed that now if you have comorbidities, the CDC is admitting you might still die or get seriously ill even after you've been vaccinated. Again, another statement that you could be banned from polite society, social media, fired from your job, who knows, just a few months ago is now being admitted by the CDC. Let's take a short break for this important message. Most people consider it a fact of life that prices are going to go up over time, and they've never gone up as fast as they are right now. But what if I told you it wasn't always like that? That for over 100 years, prices went down in America, even as the economy became more productive. Well, it's true. And as much as we like to blame the president when the economy is bad, 
Presidents really have very little effect on our modern economy. The real culprit behind not only price inflation, but the constant booms and busts we suffer is the Federal Reserve System. My new book, It's the Fed, Stupid, is an appeal to Americans across the political spectrum to stop focusing on things that don't make a difference and start focusing on what does. Whether you're worried about constantly rising prices, wage stagnation, increasing wealth and income inequality, or the massive expansion of the government's size and power, they can all be traced back to an institution the powerful would prefer you ignored. Download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com and find out what you should really be fighting against. And now, back to our episode. You work on the answer, then you quietly save the day. You were right, Mr. Spock, about everything you said. We humans just are logical, too crazy in the head. And let me give you this latest announcement, and this came on January 31st. And this was a news story that caught my eye on ABC News. I'll post a link to all of these on the show notes pages. It says experts say the COVID-19 emergency could end this year. What would it look like? Of course, it's going to end this year. The Omicron wave has come through and it is less severe. That's not a controversial statement. That doesn't mean that nobody will die from it. It doesn't mean that nobody will get seriously ill, but the numbers are very much lower. A ton more people are getting infected And the percentage of those people who get hospitalized or die is much lower than with the previous waves. And this is what should be expected from any virus of this sort. Not every virus, but most of them keep mutating into more infectious, less deadly strains because the virus wants to continue. It wants to go on spreading. So that's the best way to spread is not kill your host and become more infectious. What do they say in this article? Of course, we hear from Dr. Fauci, who remains an expert no matter how many times he changes his story. The article says, During a press conference Wednesday, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert, said the U.S. can get, quote, sufficient control, unquote, over COVID-19 so it, quote, does not disrupt us in society does not dominate our lives, not prevent us from doing the things that we generally do under normal existence, unquote. And then they go on to say, this is because the virus will start running out of people to infect as people become immune and follow mitigation measures such as mask wearing and testing if they have symptoms. If they have symptoms. Now, this is not a quote. I'm wondering whether this is a paraphrase of Fauci's other comments that they are not quoting here. But it's interesting that they say that people should follow mitigation measures such as mask wearing and testing if they have symptoms, since we're still led to believe all studies and evidence to the contrary that this virus spreads with asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic people. Okay, so why suddenly should we only be mask wearing and testing if we have symptoms? Something, again, that a lot of us were saying as early as March or April 2020, why are you testing people without symptoms? This is lunacy. And, of course, all of the previous statements about the reliability 
of the tests notwithstanding. This is now a direct quote from Fauci. We have the tools with vaccines, with boosts, with masks, with tests, and with antivirals, Fauci said. So it's slowly shifting to where perhaps we should treat this virus the way we've treated every other virus in in American and human history, or I shouldn't say human history. In, In the medieval period, often people would do outlandish and ridiculous things that science taught us were not effective. And somehow or other, we forgot all about that, forgot about the science for the last two years. But here's another quote, and this is from Dr. Timothy Brewer, a professor of epidemiology at UCLA Field School of Public Health. And he says, we really need to be shifting our thinking to how do we live with this virus rather than can we make it completely go away? So I think we need to move into the mode of minimizing the impact of the virus as much as possible in terms of health, economic, and social disruption, recognizing this virus is going to be there. Of course, this is what the Great Barrington Declaration basically was saying all along as early as 2020. This is the sensible way to deal with a virus. And and I want to remind you, nothing has changed. It's not that these mitigation measures were effective in the past and now should suddenly become more targeted. We know that the masks didn't work. The lockdowns did not stop the spread. It probably increased the spread. And you notice that is one thing they're not bringing back in the United States, at least, while they are in other countries. So let me give you another statement by another expert. It will become a culture of, if you're sick, stay home. Dr. Wafa El-Sadr, a professor of epidemiology and medicine at Columbia University Mailman School of Public Health, told ABC News, Don't come to work. Don't go to school. Don't send your kids to school. There will be more of an appreciation of the collective responsibility that we have for each other. Let me tell you something. I was in management or ownership or both in the corporate world of many companies over the past 30 years. I've managed hundreds of people at some points in my career. And this has always been the advice that we gave people, if you're sick, stay home and don't get the rest of my workforce sick. This is nothing new. I'm not exactly sure what they've been telling kids in school. I know they've been telling them many other outlandish things. I would assume they would tell people to stay home when they're sick and not infect the other kids. I know that we've been saying that in the workplace for all of my professional career of over 30 years, almost 40 years, I should say. This is nothing new. Again, this is common sense that they seem to be wanting to incorporate into some new recommendation based on new conditions. And again, this is something we've been saying all along. What they'll want to do is write history, and I'm sure this is the way it will be written, and this is why the history books are so off for things that happened even hundreds of years ago, is that the government and the government's historians write the history, and it will be that we had this terrible virus, and a lot more people would have died if it weren't for the heroic efforts of people like Dr. Fauci and Democratic governors who at first locked down their populations, and and that helped while the virus was the most deadly, 
And then they imposed mask mandates and eventually vaccine passport recommendations, which in some jurisdictions were mandated by the government and in some places not, and that this is what brought the pandemic to an end. Now, you and I know that none of that is true. We know the lockdowns made things worse. The masks had no effect whatsoever. They do have negative non-COVID-related effects. And we also know that the vaccine, hmm, questionable at best. Certainly, the big peak last January occurred and was over with before the vaccine was introduced. And it's tough to make a case that the vaccines prevented new peaks, especially the Omicron peak. I'm not sure that the vaccines are effective for Omicron at all. At least that's what the CEO of Pfizer said. But of course, I don't know if he's been kicked off social media, but that's not what we're hearing from the news media. So we're going to have this history that's written, and someday, if you're young, your children will learn about the heroics of Dr. Fauci and Democratic governors. And again, this is why I tell you the only way that we can reverse the trend towards less freedom is to homeschool. But let me go on. The other thing that I thought was interesting about this article was the non-medical policy recommendations related to this staying home. And they suggest in the article that one of the policy outcomes from this pandemic should be that federal law mandates paid sick leave for employees. So they don't come out and say that. What they say is, currently, federal law does not require employers to provide paid sick leave to employees, although some states, such as California, New York, and Washington, have laws requiring it. Of course, what they're suggesting here, by way of stating that, is that federal law should require employers to provide paid sick leave to employees because, of course, any employer who doesn't is just greedy and exploiting his workers. Now, I'd like you to think for a moment about exactly who got richer and benefited from the government response to this pandemic and who got poorer, went out of business, et cetera. We know the billionaires doubled their net worths, right? Not all of them, but in general, the very rich got much richer. We know who went out of business, and it wasn't Walmart, and it wasn't Home Depot, and it wasn't any of the big box retailers or any of the multinational corporations. None of those are are no longer around. It's all the small businesses. And let me tell you which companies currently provide paid sick leave without a federal law. As far as multinational corporations, all of them, 100%. Big business can afford to do this because they have the economies of scale to provide paid sick leave. Now, guess who doesn't provide paid sick leave or what percentage of small businesses, family-owned businesses, provide paid sick leave? And the answer is not 100%, not all of them. Now, some do, probably most do, but which ones don't? The ones that can't afford to. Of course, when they're competing for employees, if paid sick leave worked for their business model, they'd offer it so they could get the better employees. The employers who don't offer it don't because they can't. And what would happen with a federal law? They'd go out of business. Would any multinational corporations go out of business? No. 
and this is how regulation works in general, okay? Every new regulation adds another financial burden of compliance to businesses. And unless there's some exemption for businesses under 50 employees or whatever, generally the businesses that can't afford to do it go out of business. And then the multinational corporation or the bigger business picks up that market share. See how that works? And that's just how this will work. So you shouldn't be surprised if there's a big push to make paid sick leave a federal law, blanket law. And even if they do have an exemption for, let's say, businesses under 50 employees or businesses under 100 employees, there will be some small businesses, with, let's say, with 101 or 51 employees that can't afford to continue under those circumstances and where their market share will go. And that's not going to be an accident, my friends. That's how it works. We'll see how the narrative continues to evolve here. We're now at a point where we may treat COVID in a somewhat sensible way out of necessity, but it won't go away. And so I guess the last thing I would like to say is just like the TSA, okay, is the war on terror quite as disruptive to our lives as it was in 2005? No, but the TSA is still there. The TSA has never caught a terrorist. The TSA does not work. It does not reduce the risk of terrorism. When they test themselves, somewhere north of 90% of all dangerous items still get through their own tests. So they're not doing anything. They're not making you safer, but they're always going to be there. We're still taking off our shoes. We're still going through this harassment at the airport. We're still throwing the Fourth Amendment out the window, okay? Because if you're searched without suspicion of a crime by a federal agent, then that violates the Fourth Amendment. Unless there's probable cause, you have committed a crime or are about to commit one. It's all pain and no gain, and we're not any safer, and they're never going away. Well, this mask business, believe me, next flu season, governors will be trying to impose mask mandates and all kinds of other interventions in our lives that have been proven not to work, but will be a permanent part of our lives anyways, unless we push back, unless there is significant resistance. And in some counties, even here in New York, there is and significant non-compliance where these things can be nullified. So keep that in mind. And I will talk to you again on Friday. I've had some technical difficulties, so I apologize for the absence of a episode on Monday. But I will have a Friday episode, and we've got some great guests coming up for next week, including Mayor Glenn Jacobs, also known as Kane in the professional wrestling world. So it's going to be a great week. Thanks for listening. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.